Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Listen, I know we could just worship all night right now, but we intentionally wanted to uh, shorten the upfront a little bit so we had plenty of time for just response and worship and time at the altar at the end. Um, for those who haven't been here each night, uh, my name's Nathan, or if I haven't met you, I'm Nathan. I'm our lead pastor here. And we brought in uh, a good friend of mine, someone who's mentored me for many years and invested in my life and my wife's life. And uh, his name is Gary Spell. He has a beautiful wife, two beautiful kids. And I have another friend here tonight, Pastor Kyle Wall, who is also a wonderful pastor that I've gotten to know as of late. And uh, Gary is a uh, pastor of Tapestry Church in Virginia Beach. He's the director of the Institute for Worship at Regent University, which he started uh, and it launches this fall. And he's just a man after God's heart. And I'm just gonna welcome him up right now. Can you guys give him a hand? We love you, Gary. Thank you for being here. Let's honor him, guys. Hi, Graceland. It's great to be here. I'm really fired up about tonight. Hey, before we get into teaching, I'd like to do something. Um, so you know how it is that in the natural, like people have different gifts. Some people are naturally good at math and some people are just naturally good at music. And we understand that in the natural. Well, did you know that that's actually the case in the spirit as well? That the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to his body and the same Holy Spirit will manifest in a gift of healing here and a gift of prophecy in this person. Same spirit, just different dispersion of gifts. And um, <clears throat> the, the mutual friend that, uh, that uh, Nathan was talking about, uh, Pastor Kyle, he's uh, at Faith Promise Church in Knoxville. Incredible guy, one of, one of my personal heroes in the faith. He's so many awesome things. He's a great teacher, he's a great pastor. Uh, so many things. But one of the things um, that's unique about Kyle is he, he moves uniquely in, uh, in the gift of the word of knowledge and particularly with respect to healing, other things. But, and so I just asked um, Kyle uh, as we started if he might be willing to come and just minister for a few minutes uh, because it's like when you, when you have the presence of a gift in the house, it seems irresponsible not to deploy it. Um, so, uh, so would you guys welcome to the platform, Pastor Kyle Wall. Good evening, Graceland. How are you? Great. I want to thank uh, Pastor Nathan and Jessica. Thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be here tonight, to be up here. Thank you, Pastor Gary. It's so great to be with you. You know, Isaiah said that uh, by... The stripes of Jesus, we are what? Healed. I believe if you walk through scripture, that means three things. We're healed spiritually, we're healed physically, and we're healed emotionally. God wants to put us back through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to the way we were before the fall. That's what he wants to do in our lives. And Jesus made that possible through his death, burial, and resurrection, the shedding of his blood. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Do you believe that, Graceland? I mean, it's in your name, Graceland. Well, come on. Jesus. His grace is amazing. So uh, I believe he wants to heal. Let me just tell you a story really quickly. I um, was with a group of people a few weeks ago, and uh, this one guy, uh, his name is Keith. And Keith, uh, he's had some uh, severe... Uh, back issues. He said he had a knee issue, first of all, and uh, God healed him of that completely. The way he found out was healed. He was sick to his stomach, like crazy sick to his stomach. And he's running to the bathroom. His knee, he noticed, oh, my knee's not hurting. He's been healed. And uh, he'd been prayed over by a few people. That's a good way to find out. He needed healing for the sickness too, but he got healed in the knee. By the day he had some back issues, he fell, uh, hit the pavement real hard. And, um, some of our guys gathered around him and prayed for him. And I'm telling you, immediately that pain just disappeared. Can you say amen to that? Do you believe in that? That's who Jesus is. So I'm going to call out some uh, words of knowledge around um, some things I believe that God wants to heal tonight. And in a minute, if any of these are related to you, I'm going to ask you just to stand up. And we're going to pray for you to be healed. In fact, I believe many of you will be healed as you stand up. 
How's that? Some of you will be healed as it's spoken. And then if, we didn't, if there's some we didn't call out, we're going to pray for you also. Does that sound good? And then I'm going to take a few risks, Gary, if you don't mind. I, I, I've got, I want to try something you have never done. And um, we'll just see what happens, okay? Uh, we'll see. Are you ready for some risk? All right. All right. I uh, saw in the spirit of some pain around the right eye, like even the, the bones. Uh, there's pain around the right eye. Uh, there's pain, uh, a bunion, maybe it's the cause of it, on the right foot. And it's hurting uh, as you walk and even as you stand on it. I saw some uh, tooth pain on the left side, some type of tooth pain. Um, this is a new one for me. I've never had a, seen this picture. I asked the Holy Spirit what it was because I didn't know. I, I failed biology. I had to take it again. Um, but I believe someone, uh, maybe you've been diagnosed or you're having some issues with your liver. And the Holy Spirit wants to, through Jesus Christ, bring healing to that tonight. Um, you're experiencing some cloudy vision. It may come and go, but you're experiencing some cloudy vision. Uh, some pain on the right side of your head. Uh, is there someone here who's been diagnosed maybe with some spots on one of your lungs? Lord wants to heal that tonight. Stiffness, uh, pain, just across your shoulder blades, from both shoulders, your neck. Stiffness, pain there. I uh, really saw this. Uh, someone relationally has really just experienced a broken heart, a hurt recently through relationships, and you're just emotionally shattered, and the Holy Spirit wants to just come and just bring healing over that tonight really does. So if, if any of these, you have any of these, would you be have faith enough just to stand in the room and we could pray for you? Anyone at all? Let's praise God. Come on. Hallelujah. Yes. All right. Here's the thing about, uh, about spiritual gifts of healing. It's not just someone that uh, maybe moves in that, but we all get to do the stuff. That's why Jesus came to die and he said, it's best I go back to the to heaven with the Father so I can ask him to send the comforter who will come. And when he comes, you'll get to do the stuff. Everyone gets to do the stuff. What's the stuff? All that miraculous stuff that we see in Scripture, all right? It's not because you're ordained you get to do that. Everyone, if you're a born-again Christian, you get to do the stuff. Can you say amen? amen? So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to find someone standing. Just real quickly ask them, hey, what's going on? And then just pray. It's not a loud prayer. It's a short prayer. Just pray for them to be healed. And then if it's something you can test after you've been prayed for real quickly, I want you to test it. And if it's better, it's getting better, like 75, 80% better, I want you to wave your hands there. So gather around. People who are standing. Let's pray for them. Make sure everyone's prayed over. Come on. If you're standing and no one's there to pray for you, you just wave your hands so we can find you. Jesus for your blood. We plead the blood of Jesus over every person standing. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Oh, Holy Spirit, bring your healing oil. Let it flow over people right now. Yes, let your healing oil flow over people. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right. Look up this way, if you don't mind. Hey, if you can test something that we talked about, if you can test it and see if it's better, if it's 
70, 80% better. We just wave your hands. I just see it. This gives us more faith in the room. Anyone can test it? Right here? Yes, right? All right. Praise God. Praise God. We're going to pray some more. Is there a person named Jerry here tonight? Anyone named Jerry? No Jerry. All right, we'll move on. Grayson, I think I got a word for you. Two more things. So Grayson, if you don't mind, have a seat. God desires to exponentially love people in Franklin, Thompson Station, and Spring Hill through you. He is calling you tonight to say yes to him and to ask him daily to let you see people where you live, work, study, shop, and play the way he sees them. Grayson, will you say yes to the Father tonight? Will you say yes to Jesus? Yes to the Holy Spirit, to love people, and to exponentially let it flow through you. Watch out. He wants to do something incredible there. And one final thing, thank you. Pastor Nathan, Jessica, I believe the Holy Spirit led me to this verses of scripture for you too. So I want to speak this over you. Psalms chapter 20, beginning with verse 4. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Speak that over you in the name of Jesus. Lord, let it be true. Thank you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. This morning, I woke up, remembered where I was, and I thought about last night, and I thought, oh, I didn't do that, did I? Did I really scream grace over and over? And, and I, was <clears throat> I was tempted to be really embarrassed. But just, just before that took over, this old hymn started bubbling up in my stomach. And it's just stuck with me all day. It, many of you will never have heard this old hymn. But uh, I, I cut my teeth as a piano player in the Baptist church. And I knew every hymn by the number in the Southern Baptist hymnal. And, <laughs> amen. Um, and uh, <clears throat> one of the songs we used to sing went like this. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace. Anyone here sing harmony? God's grace. There you go. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Can we sing it one more time? Oh, grace. Well, tonight I want to talk to you about worship. Um, 
And I want to start by introducing this concept to you. <clears throat> I think the cornerstone to any theological pursuit, the most important component of any theological pursuit is humility. Humility. Humility says two things. First of all, <clears throat> humility says there is more to God than I have currently seen. There's more to know that I do not know. I have not experienced all there is to experience. I haven't seen all there is to see. And that sounds obvious, but when you walk with the Lord for a little while, you can start to feel like, well, I kind of got this, you know? And so humility adopts as its disposition, one of humility. God, there is more to see. There is more to learn. There is more to know. And then it also adopts, this is a truth. There are currently in my life things that I believe that are wrong. I just don't know what they are yet. Yes, exactly. I believe, I believe things that are wrong. The Lord just in his mercy hasn't corrected all of my wrongness. He's taking me down a journey, showing me new aspects of who he are, of who he is and changing uh, faulty beliefs that I have. Um, I want to grow and I need to grow in this area. That's my disposition. The mature in Christ learn that growth in any area is always accompanied by discomfort. It always is. When God wants to take you from here to there, it begins with a discomfort with where you currently are. It always starts. In fact, mature Christians have come to associate that feeling of discomfort with the feeling of growth. Like some of you um, maybe are into different kinds of physical activity. I highly recommend swimming, by the way. Um, I was talking to Heather earlier today. She's, she's a runner, and, and I, I run as well. And um, maybe some of you, maybe there's some folks here who work with weights, like resistance training or whatever. And uh, here's the deal. To the normal walking around the world person, pain is um, associated with pain. No pain, no pain. Pain, bad. Pain, bad. But people who are training uh, for races or doing resistance training or swimming or whatever, they come to associate that pain with the feeling of growth. And so that pain isn't difficult for them. It's still pain, but they come to associate it with growth. And for the mature believer, that feeling of discomfort, that feeling of, oh, I, I haven't seen that before. That's the signal that growth is coming. When you go, oh, that's, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, oh, it's the sound of growth. Oh, oh. And, and you really need to know that because most of the time when we encounter things that make us go, oh, we, we, can, we adopt sort of a reflexively defensive position, right? And I'm saying this because tonight, uh, I'm gonna to be pushing you a little bit in the theology of worship. My, my, my friend Brandon here uh, said the other day um, that this is one of his lines from when he preaches, but I like it and I'm gonna steal it and I'm gonna use it when he's not around and not credit him. But here's, here's, here's what he said. If I'm stepping on your toes, it's because I'm headed for your heart. That's good. That's good preaching right there, bro. So I wanna begin with the foundational premise, a fundamental doctrine of worship, which is this, it's not complicated. Worship is for God. You don't have to go to Regent University to learn that, that's really simple. Worship is for God. In fact, the very etymology of the word is worth-ship. You're assigning to God the worth that he is due. So worship is about him and it is for him. If you agree with that, say amen. 
If you don't agree, please just say nothing at all. Just stay put and go, oh, oh. Revelation chapter 4 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure were they created. It's all for Him. It's all for Him. Psalm says the the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the inhabitants and all who dwell therein. Listen, in the, in the economy of God, there is no such thing as secular. It's all him. It's all for him. It's like you coming into my house and dividing the stuff up between my stuff and somebody else. No, it's all mine. You're in my house. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And worship is for him. So the underlying truth is that all of this is for God. Worship is about him and it's for his pleasure. So here's what that means. And this is where it gets a little tricky. If worship is for him, then it's not for you. <clears throat> it's not about you. It's not about your entertainment, your pleasure. Now worship benefits us and, and people who love God generally love worship. But that's an ancillary benefit because worship isn't for you. Worship is for the Lord. And if worship is about him, it's not about us. So I love it. Every now and then somebody will come up to me after a worship set and they'll say, uh, Pastor Gary, I have to be honest, I didn't like that song. And I love it because it gives me the opportunity to say, well, that's perfect because we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> Worship isn't for you. Worship is for the Lord. So how you like it couldn't really matter less. When we leave the service tonight, it might be your inclination to go home and rate the worship but let me tell you God's response. The question is not, did you like it? The question is, did he? And not did he like the band's music, did he take pleasure in your worship? That's the question. Not what did you think of James and the team? How is God assessing your worship? The first mention of worship in scripture is in the book of Genesis. It comes in the story of Abraham. He was taking his son Isaac to offer him uh, on an altar. And he was, he was getting ready to have the mountain. He turned to his steward who was with him and he said, stay here while the boy and I go up on the mountain to worship. It's the first mention of worship. And poor Isaac, he must have been, this is worship? But even though that's the first mention of worship, he wasn't the first worshiper. No, the first worshiper pre-existed man altogether. In the Bible, there are three named angels. They are referenced as being archangels. They are angels who are over divisions of angels. The first we encounter is Michael. Michael is the archangel over prayer or warfare. When there is prayer or warfare going on, we're in the realm of the archangel Michael. You remember the story in Daniel where he began to fast and pray. The Bible says for 21 days. And on the 21st day, Michael the archangel comes to him. And he says this. He says, from the day you set your heart to fasting, I was dispatched to you. But I encountered the king of Babylon, and I was doing warfare, and he delayed me in coming to you. You know what I love about that? He, he says, I, I don't know how much fasting you do here at Graceland, but it's an incredible discipline. 
I love it. I, I commend it to you highly. And people get wrapped around the axle about how successful they are or do they fail. But do you know what? Michael, he, Michael said he was dispatched from the moment you decided. From, from the moment you set your heart to fast, I was dispatched. Isn't that awesome? When you set your heart to seeking the Lord in prayer or prayer and fasting, at that moment, angels are dispatched to your aid. That's Michael, the archangel. The second is Gabriel. Gabriel is the archangel who is the messenger of God. He superintends the word of God. When God has a message, he sends Gabriel. It was the archangel Gabriel who appeared to a virgin in her room named Mary and said, Bless, Hail, O blessed one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You have found favor with God. The archangel Michael. Many years ago, when I was deep in the theater business, the... Uh, the, the body of Christ went through this, uh, this terrible phase where they were doing these gigantic pageants. It was, it was not our finest hour, I'm going to be honest with you. And uh, ginormous churches would rent out coliseums, and they would put on these magnificent pageants with uh, livestock and scenery and... I, I called them six flags over Jesus. Everything they could, they just threw everything they can at the pageant, at the pageant. And I was, <clears throat> I was the artistic director at a theater, not a, not a Christian theater, but at a theater. And so I started getting calls all the time because uh, in an effort to raise the game, these big, big churches would hire uh, secular directors and secular actors to come and do their pageants. And so I got a call from a church down in Carolina, this big, big church, and I had said no to them so many times because I, really, I just found the church pageant thing sort of distasteful. But it's funny, money <laughs> changes the taste, and, and it, they just made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went down to direct their pageant, and I have, <laughs> I have so many great stories from this pageant, but one of my favorite happened after the show was open, and I came back home, and I would check in with the stage manager every so often. How are things going? Do, I need, do you need anything from me? And so I called her, and she was like, uh, yeah, last night was kind of rough. I was like, really? <laughs> what happened? And she said, well, so here is was, here was the setup. Mary, the Virgin Mary, is lying on a cot. She sings a beautiful ballad about being the mother of God. And the Gabriel, the angel, the Gabriel gets lowered slowly from the fly into her light. And he hovers above her and he says, uh, with echo on his voice, he says, Hail, O blessed one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you and the fruit of your womb, for you have found favor with God. And I guess the night before, <clears throat> Gabriel's harness got hung up on the fly rail. So they were letting out slack, but he was staying up. And he was stuck, and he was trying to get himself unstuck. And when he did, he fell about 15 feet and dropped into Mary's room suddenly. <laughs> with a, and with a loud, Hugh! And then... <laughs> The laws of physics are such that when you drop a load, it immediately starts spinning. And Gabriel, who, who was a seasoned professional, delivered his lines whenever he saw audience. It was like, Halo, blessed one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you. Until he got so nauseous that he upchucked on the Virgin Mary. <laughs> That's not the real Gabriel. The real Gabriel did it straight. 
So two archangels, Michael and Gabriel. The third was Lucifer. Lucifer was the archangel of worship. So we have Michael who represented prayer, Gabriel, the word, Lucifer, worship. And by the way, these are the spiritual disciplines that need to be a part of your life in an ongoing way. They should be part of, if you have a daily quiet time, it should include prayer, the word, and worship. Every service that takes place in this room should include prayer, the word, and worship. These are the fundamentals. And it shows us a little glimpse of the leadership structure of heaven. A triune God has a trinity of archangels superintending his work on earth. By the way, we, we believe that the, all of the angels were divided into brigades of one-third because in Revelation 12... The scripture says when he was cast down from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. So we we believe that the angels um, were all divided among these disciplines as well. Um, There are two places in scripture that sort of tell us about Lucifer, um, about who he was prior to the fall. And they are Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. We're going to look at those together. But before we do, I want to tell you something very important about prophecy in Scripture and the language um, and prophetic language in general. In, In one of these passages, you're going to hear the prophet refer to the king of Babylon or the king of Tyre or, um, uh, as we just referenced in Daniel, um, uh, that uh, the angel was wrestling with the king of a given region. Um, that's, those are, that's prophetic language um, uh, for the enemy. Um, it's just how, how the prophets worked. You remember when Jesus was on earth and, and uh, he turned to Peter and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, he, he wasn't confused. Peter wasn't Satan, but he was speaking prophetically by calling him a different name. And that's what happens here in these scriptures. So I just wanted you to understand it as we go in. Let's start with Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. It says, how far, uh, how have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. And you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens and I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly and the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. And I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. Um, I I want you to notice, I think it's just interesting to note uh, in this passage, all of the language related to height. Look at this. He says, uh, can can we go to the next one? Next one. No, we can't go. There we go. You have said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne. You hear the language of exaltation, right? Wanting to be exalted. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Graceland Church, your God is the most high. So you hear in the language of Lucifer this desire to exalt himself. This is why the scripture says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you get low, you attract the attention of God. So the other two archangels... Um, Michael and Gabriel were observed by people and they, they had the form of men. But Lucifer did not. He did not look like a man. Most scholars believe that not only was Lucifer a musician, they believe he was actually a musical instrument. He was the embodiment of music. Let, let me show you. Ezekiel 28 says this. 
Um, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Can we back up to um, verse 11, Isaiah 14, 11? Look at this. I think it's the previous slide. Yeah. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the sound of your stringed instruments. So we, we don't know what Lucifer looked like, but apparently part of his physical makeup had to do with strings. And then look at Ezekiel 28. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection. So let me just stop there. Obviously, no king, no natural king is the seal of perfection. He's speaking prophetically to Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was beautiful. You were in Eden, the garden of God. All right, now listen, I want you to pay very, very careful attention to this because I'm going to come back to this at the end, but, but really make note of this. Lodge this away in your, in your brain. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Then it says this, your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created they were prepared. Now, these two words are really significant, settings and mountings. The first word is the Hebrew word tof, T-O-F-E. And it is used 17 times in the Old Testament. And every other time it is translated timbrel. Timbrel. A timbrel is technically that little round silver disc in a tambourine. It's this little percussion instrument. And that's what this word means. I think the translators of the NIV saw the presence of all these stones and assumed this meant these are settings or mountings or, or places where the stones reside. But that is not what this means at all. And then the second word, is the Hebrew word nekeb, N-E-Q-E-B. And it's, this is the only time it's used in Scripture at all. But in other instances, in the ancient Hebrew language, it is translated pipe. So they rendered that as socket or mounting. It would be a pipe that you would mount the thing. But the pipe that is represented by the Hebrew word is a musical instrument. And, by the way, the Hebrew word for gold, your setting and mountings were made of gold, doesn't exist in this verse at all. So NIV really fumbled the ball on translating this verse. But the King James gets it right. Here's what King James says. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So, this means that Lucifer, whatever form he took, had strings, he had timbrels, that's percussion, and pipes, those are wind instruments. And if I have any musicians in the house, this is resonating with you. Because I've both arranged and orchestrated for and conducted many, many orchestras. And when I stand at the conductor's podium, I see to my left and right the strings, directly in front of me the winds, and in the back, percussion. Lucifer was literally music itself. He was a walking orchestra. He was beyond beauty, the most beautiful thing in all creation, Scripture says. Lucifer was string, wind, and percussion. What this means is that music, listen to me now, it has intrinsic anointing. It's intrinsic. Lord, the Lord, of course, can anoint anything, 
But music has the ability to reach where words cannot go. You remember King David, he would play his harp and, and the demonic spirits would leave Saul. That's the power of music. And remember what I said at the beginning, we divide music into sacred and secular, but there's no such thing for God. No such thing for him. Let me tell you something. When we are introduced to God in Genesis 1, we are introduced to him first and foremost as a creator. In the beginning, God created. And when you create, you are speaking your father's native language. So if you're here, if you're listening to this, and you're a musician, a composer, you're an artist, you're a dancer, you're a filmmaker, I just want to tell you, don't be surprised at the, at the, at the war of art. If anybody is here who has created, you know it feels like a battle. Because it is. I, I don't have a chapter and verse for this. I don't. I, I, it's just my profound sense that when someone of tremendous artistic capacity dies, the world shifts a little. I remember the day Michael Jackson died. And of course, there was grief everywhere because people were, you know, big fans and I liked his music and everything, but there was more going on. There, it was, there was a deep grieving in my spirit. The earth had lost something powerful. And when you create, you are doing the work of God. When you create, you are taking ground that used to believe, belong to your enemy. And that's why he despises you. Ezekiel 28, 14 through 17 goes on to say this. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God and you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. And through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. And your heart became proud on account of your beauty. Have you ever known somebody who is both beautiful physically and talented? Aren't they the worst? Don't you just hate those people? Like... And there are plenty of people that have both those things that are wonderful and humble. But when you meet someone who is talented and beautiful and proud, and that was Lucifer. He was so beautiful. He was so gifted. He thought, I should be like the Most High. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made you a spectacle before kings. So, all of this happens before creation. Now, here's my question. Dig deep for this theology. When he cast Satan out, why didn't he just replace him? He could make another archangel. Maybe promote a junior angel, something. Why didn't he? Or maybe he did. Maybe Genesis 1 is an effort by God to create a race of people who would choose to worship him. I want to show you a video. Has anyone here ever seen an active larynx? Yeah? My sister. Yeah. You probably only get to see this if you're a vocalist with vocal trouble. You go to an otolaryngologist and they'll put a camera down your throat and have you do some vocal exercise. And since most of you won't get that privilege, I brought you something. Check this.
This is in slow motion. These are two folds, thin folds of flesh that are activated and causing them to vibrate to create sound. The same vibrations that we see on a guitar or on a piano. When a guitar string vibrates at 440 vibrations per second, that's an A. And the human vocal fold does the exact same thing. He put a man a diaphragm that would push air up from lungs to create sound that would come out of your mouth. And he gave you hands that can clap and feet that can tap. You are an orchestra. You have strings, winds, and percussion all in your body. You were the replacement for the fallen Lucifer. You were literally, listen church, you were created to worship. And when you are reluctant, when you are resistant, you are defying God's fundamental call on your life. You were made to worship. You ever seen those memes, the website, you had one job? (laughs) Well, church, you got two jobs, just two, only two things. The first is you're called to be radical, uninhibited worshipers. That's what he is worthy of. He's worthy of nothing less. And you're called while you're on earth to preach a gospel that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And most churches, if I can just say, are doing neither very well. But this church is different. You can be different. As you commit yourself to being people of grace and radical worshipers. Because when God's church worships him with with abandon, without restriction, the atmosphere changes and anything becomes possible. Jesus in Luke 4 gave the scripture's most definitive teaching on worship. And he concluded it by saying this, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. Consider for a moment just the language Jesus used here. The sovereign God of the universe, who is within himself all sufficient, he needs nothing at all. And yet, there is one thing he is seeking. The heart of God is looking for one thing. Anyone who will worship him in spirit and in truth. One person in the room who will not care what anybody else thinks or says, but will worship him with abandon. You came with expectations tonight? Well, so did God. Listen, if we fail at this, the next candidate in line are the rocks. And they will cry out, If you won't, if I won't, the very earth will praise its creator. Can I get you to stand with me and let's get the worship team in place? Hey, I want to show you one more thing, and then I'm just going to turn this over to the worship team, and I'm going to invite you, maybe it's for the very first time, but I'm going to invite you to worship like nobody else is in the room. Worship as though the heart of God is listening and responding to you because, in fact, he is. Hey, can I show you one more thing? 
that's amazing about this. God took everything from Lucifer and he gave it to you. Stripped it from him and gave it to you. You want to know why Lucifer is raging against the human race? He was stripped of everything and God gave it to you. But in Revelation chapter 21, there is a picture of heaven. And John the Revelator is describing to us what heaven looks like. And I want you to pay careful attention to this. Here's what it says. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That's you. That's you. And so the angel says, I'm going to show you. And, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And now I'm going to jump down to verse 19. Check this out. And the foundations of the city walls were decorated. Look, with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper and sapphire and agate and emerald and onyx and ruby and chrysolite and beryl and topaz and turquoise and jacinth and amethyst. All the stones he stripped from Lucifer and he's holding them for the bride of Christ. When you, his worship leaders in the universe, arrive, he will give you the last of what he took from the enemy, your inheritance, as his anointed, ordained worshipers. Church, let's not miss this assignment. If we get nothing else, let's get this right. And I, I know that there are folks here and you would say, yeah, well, PG, I, you know, I'm, honestly, I'm just not comfortable. I, you know, I, I hear you, I'm not. Uh, and I, 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 listen, I sympathize with you. For the, for the first part of my Christian life, and I'm being completely honest here, um, extravagant worshipers made me mad. I would go, my, my mentor, Jack, used to go to this church where they would swing from chandeliers and whatnot. And I, you know, they'd be worshiping someone would take off running around the room. And I would say, that is not of, that is not of God. That is not in order. I, I was just so uptight. And then I started playing piano for this, uh, this church in Virginia Beach where they, they were in revival. And the pastor, Wally Odom, he was the pastor there. And he was this big, long, lanky guy. And we'd sing, we bring the sacrament. And he would jump, kick, jump, kick. And I think he's making a fool of himself. I was just really, I was totally uncomfortable. But that was my pride. Because in worship, I was thinking about me. I wasn't even really thinking about God. And to the degree I did think about him, I thought about him with my hands crammed in my pockets. So I identify with you. I can tell you, I remember the day. I remember where I was standing the first time I lifted my hands. And I, <laughs> I was so defiant. that The person up front said, I want everyone here to lift their hands. And I was like, okay. And I just stuck my hand straight up like this. And when, when I lifted my hands, my tear ducts opened up. And I didn't even understand what was happening. And listen, every time you break through a new level in worship, you break through into new levels of spiritual power. There's so much for you. That's not why we worship, but I'm just telling you, there is great reward in worshiping the Lord. And so I just wanna invite you to take some time to get lost in his presence. Now, in a second, James is going to lead us in some worship. I'm going to lay down this microphone, and I'm going to get lost in his presence. But before I do that, there's one thing I want to do. If you are here uh, tonight, and you're a creative, and that doesn't, I don't mean that you make tons of money doing it, but you would say, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm a creative. And you've been looking for validation and affirmation, and you've been asking the Lord for breakthrough and asking why, you know, um, if, you're, if you're an artist in the house, 
I want to lay hands on you. I want to pray for you. Uh, I want to I encourage you. I want you to know that the Lord is on your side. You're doing the work of the Lord. And uh, the loneliest place to be on planet Earth is an artist in a church. It's tough. It's tough. The church has little use for artists. It's just true. To communicate the gospel, we've chosen the most boring vehicle in the world, the lecture. And to communicate through music, we've broken the smallest spoke off a giant wheel, and that's what we use. Um, you know, where's the Lord going? I don't know. What's, what's the elevation playing this week? So I get it. I feel you. I'm with you. I'm in the boat with you, and I want to lay hands on you tonight. So if don't hesitate. If you're an artist and you'd like me to pray for you, I want you to come just form a line just straight across the front. And I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask my, my man Brandon and Kyle and uh, if you guys would join me. I just want to go down and just pray a prayer of impartation over you. And James, you can, you can sing something and just minister a bit. And we'll do this and then we'll get into whatever else you got on your heart. Okay? As we sing out your praise 
guys, I want to tell you something. So a few years ago, um, I was in ministry and a mother brought to my office a teenage boy that was just in all sorts of trouble. Um, he was, uh, and, and you guys can stay right here because this is, this is for you. You can stay right here. Just, um, and this kid was on the verge of going to uh, going to, to state uh, facility. He just kept just kept going wrong. And his mom, single mom, was desperate. So she brought him to me and basically, hey, fix him. You know, get, get him right, please. And this guy was, uh, he was a brick wall. You know, he sat in my office and he would answer with one word answers. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't break through this kid at all. He was just cold. And so that wasn't working. So I said, hey, um, would you mind riding with me? I've got to run a couple of errands. He said, well, I guess. I said, great. So I get him in the car. And I'm just probing, trying to get him on anything. And I said to him, uh, so what do you think you'd like to do when you get out of high school? He said, I don't think I know what I'm going to do. I was like, great, great. Say anything. He said, I'm going uh, to be a dive master. I said, well, what's, a, what's a dive master? He said, well, it's a certified diver. You know, they go down and they recover wrecks and they work for the military. It's, it's pretty much the coolest job ever. Like you didn't know old man. And I said, uh, so you love uh, the water. Have you, have you actually done diving? He's like, oh yeah. And now he started to come alive. He starts talking about diving. Now he becomes like a fountain of words. And we talked all the way back to the church and I pull into the parking space. I, I know it's a long story. Stay with me. Um, but I, I pulled into the parking space and turned off the car and we talked for another half hour. He just talked all about diving and the sea. Are you listening to me, church? Are you listening? And here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, uh, he's all animated. He was like, Pastor Gary, listen. There are gardens under the sea that are in Fuji color. They are brighter than anything that exists on land anywhere. There are murals of coral. There are fish that are more exotic than anything you've ever seen. He said, listen, I have seen things under the sea that I was the only one who ever saw them. And then he said this, what a waste. What a waste that people don't get to see them. So anyway, I talked to him, I prayed for him and he left. And I walked up to my office and I was pondering this conversation. And I got to my office and I've always maintained in my office a saltwater aquarium. Just, I'm just a fan. And so, and they're, they're the ones that have these big, beautiful fish and these big, beautiful coral. All the, all the beautiful stuff is in the marine tank. And so I pulled up a chair in front of my marine tank. I started praying for this, this young man. And I'm looking at all this marine life. And I thought to myself about what he said. And I thought, is it though? Is it a waste? I mean, Lord, what if there are gardens under the sea that nobody sees but you? Is it enough that you find beauty, that it pleases your heart? And he said, yes. It's for me. And I thought that was the lesson. But on the heels of that, God spoke to me and said, but son, what about you? And I want to ask you this question, artist. Look at me. What about you? What about you? What if nobody sees? What if nobody hears the music? What if no one sees the painting? but your father and he delights in it. Is that enough? Is that enough? Even if you're not an artist, what if you serve the Lord and nobody sees? Like I love that there's a platform for Nathan's and for Kyle's, but there's not a platform for everybody. For most people, you're just grinding it out day after. And what if nobody sees? Is it enough that your father takes pleasure? Is it enough? It's enough. What, what if you sing at the top of your lungs and it's kind of out of tune and no one takes pleasure, but your father does? Is that enough? My, my son, 
left me a voicemail yesterday singing to me on the phone. It was terrible. And I've never heard a song I loved more. Because that's my boy. And when you worship your father, you are moving in your calling and it delights his heart. Is that enough for you? So, my commission to you is, you create in the secret place for your father. You let it fly. You offer it to him. You be satisfied that he sees and delights in what you do. And he will multiply your heart. He will anoint it. Because the most important audience of all 